I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey guys, so I was able to book Anna right away. So we're going to do these episodes back to back, which is awesome. And we closed off last episode with, you know, you you can always love your, you're always going to love your child, but you may not like your child. And I thought mm-hmm. that was such a good distinction. I, you know, of course I get parents who are done with their kids, <laughs> like with body yes. training. And they're like, I don't like them anymore. I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. You, okay. Know you love him. I did want to tell a really quick story that I had told my son, you know, I'm one of these moms who... I'm very fair. I always say, what's your part in it? You know, if there's a disagreement, I never go to, it's all somebody else's fault, you know? But one day a kid was kind of harassing him and I sat him down and I said, listen to me, if anybody fucks with you, I will kick their ass. And and the look on his face, he was like, really? I was like, Oh yeah. There's a level I won't tolerate. And it was so amazing. It was like this like bond of trust all of a sudden. Like he was like, yes. I didn't know that. He was like unsure. He thought I'd always be fair. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> I love that. Like I have a 14 month old and she doesn't know it yet, but I know when I was picking her up from daycare the other day, there's another little boy there that was just Mike Tyson it up with everybody. Yeah. And I moved because I had a picture up and he went to hit her and I moved and I was like, uh-huh. And I'm looking at the teacher and the teacher moved him. And then within a few minutes, he came back and swung again. And I said, you need to move him before I fight his mother in the parking lot. <laughs> And she was like, yes, ma'am. And I was like, I will fight his mother in the park lot. Like, do not touch my child. And I got that from my mom, you know, the same thing. Like, we can be fair, but you're off limits. Yeah. (laughs) And I think when the kid knows that that. too, I think it's one thing when you love it with a girlfriend. When you say it right to your kid, it means so much too. Okay. So early in our last interview, you said in your work, you're seeing like government intervention where there shouldn't be. So what does that look like in your work? So I started early on as an ESC teacher, then eventually became a licensed marriage family therapist. Mm-hmm. And because of my background as an ESC teacher, Department of Children and Families, South Florida was like, come here, because mental health counselors, we don't have training in anything outside of ADD, ODD, and all these beautiful other diagnoses. So what I noticed is that there was a lot of DCF involvement with these families for the dumbest reasons or the child had a bruise, or there were bite marks, or, you know, maybe the sibling had bruises or bite marks from the sibling that has the diagnosis, you know, of Mm. autism, and they have a lot of physically aggressive behaviors. Or maybe there are some, what we call oppositional defiant disorder behaviors or ADD behaviors. And it was just different things that I'm like, why am I here? This is so dumb. And what I realized was, at least with DCF, the lower you are on the economic bracket, the more involved they are. 
Mm. For me to have been involved, and I did have a few cases where I walked in and you're talking about multi-million dollar homes. There were a few and it was very severe, Mm -hmm. but they were very patient with them. And what I noticed is that when the government got involved, which was a pro and a con, depending on the family needs, was that they really didn't understand the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. So you have the cultural component. I'm Hispanic. We come from the whatever's in our hands. You have the belt. You, you hit your kid. That's what we do. You know, like, don't do that slap. And then there's, you know, there's bruises and stuff like that. And what I noticed is that from a cultural perspective, there are a lot of parents that really don't understand what they can do and what they can't do. And then when the government was involved, let's say from a DCF perspective, it was a lot of education on both sides. It was me educating the parents, here are your other options, but also going to DCF of like, this is a bit too extreme. But there was some pros to it, at least in some of the counties that I worked in, where they paid for daycare. For example, Broward County in Florida, Broward Sheriff's Office, at least at that point, would help the families pay at least for daycare so the parents can get to work. So there's a lot of government involvement in, let's say, in that sense. And then in mental health, in people coming home, you know, so instead of us going, you know, we having a client and having them come to our office, we would go to the homes. Right. And what I realized with a lot of the parents, and I didn't have this because I know my mom would have never allowed a therapist in the house. That was just <laughs> not going to happen right. in my raising. And then while I'm doing it, I'd always tell the parents, thank you for letting me in. Thank you for letting me in. Thank you for letting me in. Because I can't imagine how intrusive it must be to let a stranger come in and then tell you what to do with your child. Yeah. And I like how you pointed out that it is lower economic brackets. I think that's really, um, and I also, I was a social worker. So I remember we would go to conferences Uh, mm -hmm. about black parenting because we had a lot of black clients and they would tell us, I don't do white parenting. And I was like, well, what's white parenting? And they were like, you care, you talk, you care about feelings. (laughs) And, but I, you know, and even my black friends have told me though, like, look at what happens with the police. They're like, I have to beat my son so he doesn't get killed. I have to turn him into a better human. I don't have the luxury of having him freak out. But it also reminds me, I had a very abusive father. And I remember talking to a friend and I said something about like our organic garden. She was like, what do you mean you had an organic garden? And I said, my father was like an organic farmer. And she said, but he hit you guys. He was terrible. Wasn't he a drunk and like a wife beater? And I was like, no, I went to private school. Like we had acres of land. Like I grew up in, you know, upper middle class. Like the idea that only lower socioeconomic brackets beat their kids is like not true, you know? Yeah, Yeah. no, it's not. And I love that you mentioned that white parenting because not to out as Hispanics, but at least in Miami, we call it white therapy. White therapy, yeah. And I've had a lot of parents tell me, you know, and I remember my mom would be like, we're not doing this whole talking thing. It it doesn't, your feelings don't matter. Just (laughs) I'm the mother and you're going to do it. Because I said so. I remember one day, I think it was in high school, and I was like, but mom, I feel, and she was like, I didn't ask you how you felt. (laughs) I was so offended at that age. And I was like, excuse me? And she's like, I'm your mother, and you're going to do what I say, and that's it. I don't care how the teacher made you feel. Because in front of the teacher, my mom would attack the school teachers. She would be like, this is your job. You got a degree in this. You need to figure this out. But then when I got home, I don't care how you feel. You get me? And it was like trying to hold both of us accountable. Yep. Because I think I want to say, you know, when I was in high school, I graduated in the year 2000. So, you know, in the late 90s, there was a lack of accountability almost. I think that's when it started, not only from us, from us kids of like, you need to do what you need to do. But my mom also was going, hold on a second. You're not doing anything in the classroom. 
Yeah, you know? I wanted to bring that up because I think that like we had discussed about like teachers, lack of resources, too many kids, no more, you know, that yeah. was like all integrated, which is great, but the special needs will take, take a lot of your time. And I do think that there's a lack of accountability on the parents. I think it's twofold. And like, it's I really ways. loved your mother's approach, which is show this space, you know, the school's got to do their job, but you also have to do yours. You don't, yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's I one think- of the things when people are dealing with the diagnosis, I know a lot of the parents I work with, they walk that line of, what is the diagnosis? What's beyond the child's control? And what is yes. just shitty behavior? Because I want to curb the behavior, but I also want to leave room for impulse control or whatever the... Yeah. The- and, and I think part of it, when my mom was raising me, one of the big things was, and in my dad too, it really put into perspective was, listen, you may or may not have difficulty in this. They never told me the label of ADHD. I got that when I was in my 30s. Yeah. But I always knew I was like, there's something. It, it can't be, it's not normal that I can't pay attention. I can't concentrate. I can't remember. I've read this paragraph 10 times. <laughs> I don't remember. Why am I dumb? Like, what's going on? And I remember my mom and my dad telling me at one point, telling me, they're like, listen, whatever struggles you have, you need to find a way around it because nobody's going to care when you get older. And my mom would say, she's like, listen, I have, you know, I'm the oldest of four. She's like, I have four of you. If I go to work and I'm sick, I still have to take care of you guys. I still need to do the stuff in the house and I still need to go to work. She goes, so the obstacle might be that I'm sick that day and I can't, but I still need to figure it out. Right. And that was one of the things that my mom really advocated on both sides, not only to make sure that the people around me were doing their job, but also for me to come up with my own solutions. And I think that's why I excelled in college more than high school. High school, I was horrible. I would have never passed the FCAT back then because I know the year after I graduated, they put in the FCAT in Florida and then the FSA and whatever name they want to have now, their state exam. There's no way on God's screen if I would have passed that. And I hold an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, and two master's degree. There is no way I would have passed that in high school. Well, I was going to, that was on my list of questions to ask you. There's no way. You mentioned that you thrived in college. So what changed? I hated high school as well. I did well. I hated high school. I struggled from second grade on, being honest. I had my first F was in second grade. I struggled with reading, reading comprehension. I struggled with math. I, you name it. I struggled. I struggled academically. I struggled socially. It wasn't until high school that I may have had like a friend or two and people to hang out with. And then because that became the one thing I was at least getting filled emotionally, I really didn't pay attention to my academics. I didn't care because I already sucked at it. I had teachers that were incredibly verbally abusive. You know, I had my high school counselor tell me, which God bless him because my mom (laughs) almost killed him the next morning where he said, Annie, your grades are so bad. You couldn't get into a community college. So you need to come up with a plan that isn't college. And in my household, it was college, 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 college. No, you don't have the option of moving out because I'm going to grab you. You're going to come back home and you're going to go to college. (laughs) And there was no like, you can leave. No, there was no leaving. You're going to leave and I'm going to find you. And I remember going home and telling my mom and my mom exploded. And the next day, I mean, my high school counselor, I think, walked on eggshells for the remainder of the time that I was in high school because he was petrified. And I went to a magnet school. Yeah. He was petrified of my mom and she would walk in. He would shake because of her response. Yeah, you know, yeah, she was yeah. like, no, how dare you say that? That's crazy. And then you look back and I had more D's and F's and everything else um, going on. It didn't click to me. I think because I struggled so much academically, yeah. I couldn't put in my head that I could do something. So she had to teach me how to do it. Like teach me psychologically, you got this, just try again. 
But if somebody says something negatively, then she would be like, you know what? No, 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 no. You're not going to say that to her because I'm trying to build her up at home. And then you're tearing her back down in the institution that this government says I need to go to. And I think some teachers just don't even recognize the power they have because like every adult, I feel like has a teacher trauma, like a really bad. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, I've had teachers that would just ignore me completely. Yeah. I had teachers would be like, Anna, just put your hand on. You know, it's like a boxing ring for me. The only person in my corner for a long period of time was my mom. My dad was there too. You know, my dad had his own things going on at that time. My parents were, you know, had just gotten separated and my mom was the only one there. And I look at my friends in hindsight, we're talking about 20 years later after graduating high school or 22 years later. Now I look at it and I look at some of my friends that didn't have that with their parents we're not any different. I'm not any smarter than they are. I'm not any more prepared than they are. I'm not anything more than they are. But because I had my mom back there, I was able to move forward and try not to say, for the record, I failed my first year of community college. Yeah. Bombed it. Bombed the remedials. I was just like, mom, what are you doing today? And she's like, you got this. And that's where my dad stepped in. He's like, you've got this. We're going to go. And you're going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And I figured it out. And I eventually, after four years, graduated my two-year degree. It took four years to get the AA and then another two and some years to get the bachelor's. And then, you know, I got the master's and then I got another master's degree after that. And I realized slowly it was never me. And I say that carefully. Mm -hmm. What it was, was my environment. I needed a smaller environment. I needed to like Yes. What I was doing. Yes. But I also needed to balance it with something that I was naturally good at, whether I liked it or not. Yes. And that was the change for me when after high school, my mom's sister sat me down and said, what are you good at? One of them, she's, you know, very, very business inclined, very successful in life. And she said, okay, what are you naturally good at? And I'm like, I don't know. I suck at everything. I'm not good at math. I can't read. I don't like science. I don't like social studies. I like history, but you know, eh. And then my mom said, well, she's a magnet for losers. That was always my mom's thing with me. Dude, that's was, social work, though. Like, that's <laughs> therapy. Like, my, people used to bring home stray pets. I would bring home stray people. I would be like, mom, this one, we got to. That's what my mom says. She goes, you find the biggest losers, the ones that nobody talks to or pay attention to. I don't know where you find them. She was like, thank God I put you in public school. I could have put you in private school and you would have still found them somehow in that group. And I remember my aunt looked at me. She goes, what do you mean she brings home losers or she attracts them? She's a magnet. And my mom was like, she just, she talks to anybody and everybody. She's nice to everybody. And if they've been bullied, then she's always there for them. And then my aunt started reeling with it. And she was like, well, have you thought about psychology? Mm -hmm. And I had taken a psychology course in high school, senior year. I had, at that time, I was a friend of mine that had bounced from every single boot camp that you could have imagined. And I had a curiosity. I took the psychology class. After that conversation, my aunt and everything, just like, let's take the class to maybe understand what on earth is going on with this person. Because I saw it with some of my friends that would get in trouble and DJJ and different, like my mom said, I was a magnet for losers. And what was going on that I was still friends with them, but then I'm like, but they're good people. Like what idiot adults do they have around them? Because I already had the experience that I had the abuse of teachers, you know, the verbally abusive teachers. So I took the class and I aced it. The only time elementary school, middle school and high school, and I can pull my transcripts, the only time I ever got an A. Wow. And it was the psychology, sociology course. Something so profound though. So guys, listen, something you like, whether or not you're good at it, 
and something Mm -hmm. you're good at, whether or not you like it. And I think Mm -hmm. those are so important because one of the things when I work with a child is I say, we work with their strengths. You know, if they're so bossy, they can't even get along. We work with their assertiveness as a strength, right? And Mm -hmm. I think this society is obsessed with fixing your weakness. And I'm like, Yes. yes, but why don't we build on strength? And I'll never understand it. I'll I never understand it. Math my entire life, son of a bitch. I haven't used math. I do not. I, I, worthless. <laughs> it really is. And I, I say this carefully to any child listening. The parents are gonna be like, "No, don't say it. It's pointless." Outside of decimals, basic arithmetic, yes. decimals, dollar signs, and percentages, so you don't get robbed later in life, especially with the taxes and the IRS. Just there's no point. I didn't need to know. The Pyth- whatever that theorem theory Pythagorean. was, Pythagorean oh my God. like who cares? Like how did that? How was that? You know, helpful. But I remember I had a friend of mine way later in life that said, "Anna, but you have to work on your weaknesses." And I and I was like, "Mahong," which is my term in Spanish for idiot. I was like, "Mahong, no, I don't." Yeah. And he was like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "No, I don't. My weaknesses are why I have strengths. Yeah, I accept my weaknesses and I leave them alone." I know what I'm not good at and I don't need to work on it. I need to focus on what I'm good at. And then in business, because what about business? I find a compliment of a business partner that has my weaknesses as their strengths. Yes. So even for me as a licensed marriage family therapist, as a parent coach, as somebody who specializes in autism, if I open up a company, I don't need another one like me. Yeah, exactly. And if I do, I need another one like me that's good at the stuff that I suck at as a therapist. Well, I think too, the school system sets you up for this whole idea of well-rounded. And I just think it's such a myth because none of us are well-rounded. Like we find- But nobody who's successful is well-rounded. If you look at Elon Musk, I mean, he's very good at some things and very bad at other things. And the same thing with Jeff Bezos. You can look at any of these movie stars, any of these musicians, any of these artists, anybody who's really, really successful- And they just happen to be very good at certain things. And then they suck at the rest. Yeah. And nobody's ever told them, what are you good at? No, because I think all the greats, honestly, I think all the greats have autism and nobody knew what to do with them. So they were like, oh, fuck, I don't know what to do with Elon Musk's fucking mind. So I'm going to let him just go. (laughs) Just do whatever you want and let's just see what happens. And I honestly think I get really annoyed with people when they're like, no, but, you know, love what you do. Never work a day in your life. Listen, that's absolute, excuse my language, bullshit. bullshit. It is bullshit because you're in a love what you do until you can't pay your rent, can't pay your mortgage, and you're driving a 20-something-year-old car because somebody told you, like now with the student loans, to pull out a six-fucking-figure student loan to major in something that's going to give you a tenth of the salary and you can't make ends meet. It doesn't make sense at all. I hate it. I tell people all the time, no, find something that you're good at. You You're can eventually that because I work hard and there are days that I don't want to yes. do this and I can put it on autopilot because I am yes. good at it. You're and good so at I it. Agree. That's it. Yeah. You might be really good. I, my favorite, when I find these kids that are good at math, God fucking bless you that you're good at math because yeah. I hate math, but God bless you if you're good at math. So if you're good at math, oh no, but I, I like, I say I had one client, he was really good at drawing and animation. Yep. And I was like, okay. And I was like, so what do you want to do? He's like, I want to have my own animation studio. Okay, the major in business. How are you going to have your own animation studio? And you don't know how to market. You don't know how to sell. You don't know how to do any HR. You don't know how to do your finances. You can't do accounting. So you're basically one part of the whole company. And he looked at me and I said, babe, I said, how are you going to open up a company if you can't handle the business part? How many people are really good at something, but that suck at business and then bomb at the business aspect, even though their skill is amazing? So I've always told people, if you're naturally good at something, especially numbers, major in finance, 
But it's good too, because it forces you to like, so I'm good at what I do and I can, whether or not I'm in the mood to like it at any given day, but it also, did I ever think I'd be chasing a social media algorithm or creating one minute videos like called reels? No, I didn't see that coming, but I'm learning it. And Mm -hmm. you know what? It's, it's tolerable because I'm good at what I do, you know? And even when I do it. Yeah. Oh, Um, absolutely. I want to be mindful of your time today. So now as a therapist, who specializes in autism, are things getting worse? Or I feel like things are getting worse with our kids. And people will say, we're getting better at diagnosing, but I'm also seeing behaviors that are escalating. Do you feel like things are getting worse? I think they're getting worse with kids, period. Just whether you have a diagnosis or you don't, especially if you have a diagnosis, because the diagnosis now becomes an excuse to label for society not to invest in you and invest in your child to move forward. Because, hey, you have ADHD, so you're never going to concentrate. So we're just going to not worry about this. Or your child has autism. So you know what? Let's see if you're on level one, two, or three, depending on the diagnostic manual. And depending on level one, two, and three will depend on whether therapies or certain centers actually put effort with your child or not, which is another engine of mine, which I can go off on another day. But you have all these things, and then you add on technology. And then you add on, at least in Florida, in the education system, we're on the bottom for a reason. So one of the dumbest things, and I say this carefully, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen educationally is the inclusion program. The whole point of putting a child with a diagnosis in a regular ed classroom is for a social perspective. At work, one of my, I do ABA as well in addition to things. I'm very eclectic and I don't see ABA the way other people do, but that's a different topic. Okay. But I had an RBT and she was, I get into arguments with my own people. But she was in tears when I explained something because she said, hey, listen, you know, they don't want us in the school, but he's not doing the work. And I said, what kind of classroom is he in? I'm thinking he's in a specialized classroom. He has a lot of things going on. And they said, no, 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 he's in a mixed classroom. And I just looked at her and I said, mama, then the goal is social. They don't care about his academics. Yeah, they just don't. So things are getting worse because what happens? Teachers are underpaid. The salaries now are the same fucking salaries that my teachers had when I was in high school yeah. in the 90s. The starting salary in Miami-Dade County when I was in high school is dollars to $36,000. It might be forty dollars now. You're talking about 20, 25 years later. When I was in high school, you had the special ed classroom. You had the LD, yep. learning disability classroom, where is what we call the nice term now is 504. There's a difference between IEPs and a 504. And then you had your regular ed classroom, then you had your honors and, you know, IB, AP classrooms. Now you've combined special ed, the LD classroom of what we had back in the day, plus regular ed. And you have a teacher that doesn't have the background because the courses don't go through that. Yeah. So you have 30 to 40, 50 kids in a classroom, five are on the spectrum, seven have ADHD, four have parole officers, three are shy, anxious kids in the back is there like going, holy shit, I have social anxiety and you have me with 50 kids and these three in front of me are in juvie. No, thank you. Then you have maybe some of the jocks. Then you have some of the kids that are regular at normal speed and you might have one or two that are a little bit more on top of everything, but they have to slow down for everybody else in the classroom. And you have one teacher and you're expecting them to teach them all of this stuff. And then you come home and COVID aside, gas is super expensive. Food is fucking through the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have the parents working extra hours, but then you have the kids going, mom, I want a cell phone. I need the new iPhone. Or mom, I need this new purse. Or dad, I need these new shoes. Or hey, this new video game. Or hey, can you get me on Steam? Hey, you know, for Christmas, I don't want presents. Can you just give me a $500 gift card to Steam? Yeah. And you're like, $500, dude, I don't have $5. You're $500, delusional. And then you have the kids where I want to be a YouTube star. And then they're like, I'm going to do a YouTube channel. And then I'm going to make it in, you know, like 
PewDiePie that did it with video games. Yeah, yeah. You know, and good for them that they did it. But it's almost like what back in the day for me was the YouTube star wannabes now are the rap star wannabes back then. Yeah. I'm going to be the next rapper. I'm going to be the next singer. I'm going to be the next Johnny Depp or Brad Pater. No, you're not. Yeah. You know, so then I think things are getting worse because you have a lot of technology, a lot of issues, you know, like nobody socializes. Everything's over text message. Yeah. Nobody knows what to do if somebody says, hey, you know, I think you need to brush your hair. Oh, my God, you're bullying me. Like, and there's more <laughs> bullying now, but then it's also overly exaggerated because you nobody knows how to communicate. And then you have you add a diagnosis and ADHD is horrendous. It can be a superpower and an absolute kryptonite weakness at the same time. I have it and it's horrible. I hate it. I love it. And I hate it at the same time. And you add on a disability of any kind and society is going, I don't care. Especially when you graduate high school, I don't care. You're an adult now. Figure I think it out. There's I, been some, you know, I just did a couple of podcasts about parents throw a word around traumatized right now. And I'm like, um, no, we need to stop. We we're like like getting desensitized. And I also just did a whole series yeah. on like validating feelings without giving in. Cause like this gentle parenting has fucked things up where parents think validating feelings is fixing it for the child. So now every time, now we have a bunch of young adults who have a feeling. And they're like, they can't even function. And so, yeah. you know, there's there's a whole component of that. And then I talk a lot on my podcast about overscheduled. It's like super hard. Nobody hangs yeah. out and plays anymore. Like you can't, no. and even if you want to be the free range parent, everybody in the neighborhood's in an organized sport. So, so parenting and, is just like a pressure keg, right? Now. <laughs> I love that you're bringing that up because like when it comes to, and there's something to say about gentle parenting, which I think came back from the eighties and nineties of just like a severe level of amount of abuse and no extreme is, is good at all. But what I've really, especially for these kids that are being raised that, hey, your emotions are, are valid and this and that. Yes, they are until you get to corporate America, because guess what? Companies don't care. Right. Well, they don't care. And the ones that is not right, they're not fact. <laughs> it, it, but it's but because it's subjective. It's right. based on you. And I think what ends up happening is that when they end up growing up and they get a job and then they get fired and then they quit because they're bouncing and then, you know, they want a job, but they can't have a job or they end up having two personalities where they hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it all day at work. And then they come home and they explode. Yep. And then people at work are like, oh my God, but Bobby's not like that. And then you're like, Bobby's like this every day. And then Bobby's like, well, I need a paycheck. So I'm going to hold it because validating feelings is one thing. That is step one of a million. The rest of the steps for parents is to teach them how to manage it. Yeah. You can say, you know what? You have all the right to be upset, but and I tell my kid, you know, my clients and parents all the time, you can think whatever you want. I can plot murder scenes in my head. That is my brain. That is my business. It's my mind. I can plan whatever I want, think what I want, feel what I want. What you can't do is say it and act it out. That's where the line draws in. Right. So I can be super pissed and be like, oh, and think all these things about a certain person. But that doesn't mean I have a right to express it. It also doesn't mean I have a right to externalize it in a physical way. Right. And that's where some parents are failing. Yeah. where my mom would say, listen, I understand you're upset. Your teacher sucks. I agree. Your teacher sucks. And I agree. Your teacher doesn't give a shit about you, but you still need to figure out how to do this homework and you still need to figure out how to bring this right. grade up. And that's where the advocating came in was finding those self-help skills for yourself. And then even when I graduated high school, I still didn't know. My aunt sat down with me one day and she went, this is how I study. Yes. And yes. the way she studied, it clicked. It was like a light bulb. I was like, what? Yeah. And what she did was that old school cluster where you'd write a circle. And she would write in the main topic and then she would do bullet points a little like, yeah. you know, spider arms. And then she would write all the points. I was writing notes upon notes upon notes. If you have ADHD, you can't read paragraphs upon paragraphs. Right. It's too visually overstimulating. Color code, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So you try and color code and then like your whole paper looks like a rainbow. So then it's counterproductive. So then what does she do? She did the circle, the little spider arms and the points. And then I had enough of a memory to remember if I just saw the bullet point. Yeah. And then if I did it, I would write two or three more words. And that's how I began to study. But she had to sit down and show me. And I'm like, oh, that's how it works. But I still needed somebody to go, hey, listen, we need to find your coping skill. We need to find your coping mechanism. We need yeah. to find the solution to this issue because you can say, I don't like this and that's great. Or I'm really bad at math, but I still need you to know how to count. What are you going to do with your credit card? Well, and I too, I always think it comes down to, I like that, like strategizing with the child. Like if you have ADHD and you read the same paragraph 10 times over, okay, it's going to take you an hour to read. So let's get going. Do you know, like, yes. and, and I think that's where sometimes the, like equality of outcome or, or equanimity gets, like, it gets kind of confusing. It's like, so, you know, some of us just have to work harder at certain things. Do you know? Yeah. And I have a friend who's taking the real estate license and she is, um, she's Portuguese and just learned English, you know, second language. So she's struggling. And she was like, she's putting off study and putting off studying. And I said, you're trying to do too much with your language barrier. I said, do one page a day. You know, you have seven months to study. And she was like, what? And I said, don't clump it. Like if you, if it takes you a long time, slow your process down. give yourself time, you know? But I think you just said the words, cause I want to close out. I think you said the magic words about advocating is, it helping, is. Your child, helping your child find a way, not letting any the solutions. Yeah. Find the solutions. That's the best thing you can do. You can validate and you can give your child reason, but find the solutions because there's always going to be that group of people that just don't care. Yep. And anybody who has a job right now, that whether they need or they like, we all have those obstacles, whether we love our job or not, that there are moments that we have to swallow it. Yep. And there are moments that we have to come up with something very quickly at the moment, or at least within the next couple of minutes to hours of like, okay, I need to figure out a solution because I can't just say I'm overwhelmed. I need a break. I need to go home. Mm. You're fired. So part of advocating for parents is not only validating your child's feelings, but letting them know this. You can be upset but you still need to finish this up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You yeah. do not have to have a smile on your face every time you do something. I think that's absolute bullshit. I hate, and I say this carefully and do yeah. this. be very careful with positive affirmations. I think they're great, but I think they're full of shit at the same time. Yeah. I do not have to be happy and positive all the fucking time. I can say I'm tired yesterday. I had a migraine. I don't know why. I just had a migraine from seven in the morning until nine 30 o'clock at night. I still had to do my work. I still did everything I needed to do. Did I need to have a smile on my face? No, I did not. Did I need to express it to other people and show them, oh my God, I'm so pissed. I'm having migraine and this is, you know, this is bullshit. No, it's my migraine. Right. I still need to do what I need to do. I still did what I need to do. The migraine finally went away, but I still found a solution. And I think that's what parents are missing sometimes. You can gentle parent, you can advocate, you can validate everything your child feels and says and experiences while still providing them with multiple solutions or teaching them how to find their own solutions that will work in the real world so that when you get out and you grow up, it's not as bad as you well, thought it was going to be. And also self-esteem is grown in discomfort. You have yeah. to overcome something it is. you couldn't do in that. And people think it's false. Oh, good job. Good job. Good job. That's not how you build self-esteem. Self-esteem is like, I know you think you can't read this book and you can. And if it takes us a year, we're reading this book. And then the child gets to learn how that feels. And I also think that I see a lot of parents that power with authority. I am so fucking fast to fire somebody. I'm not putting up with, oh, yes. be it a teacher, be it a doctor. You work for me. You work for my taxes with teachers. And so I think yeah, very, this very is scared. expensive. And I think it's okay to, like your mom did, come down on the school, show the child that you have their back. You get ferocious with the school, but you also get ferocious with the child. Yeah. <laughs> and provide the skills. Have patient with your child. The one thing I tell parents all the time, especially moms, nobody will ever love your child, defend your child, take care of your child the way you will do. Right. And the way you do, 
Right. So when you're not here, make sure you gave them all the skills to be able to do it themselves. Ta-da, that was the closing line. That was brilliant. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. It was so great to talk to you again. I feel like like we could honestly talk forever and ever and ever. Yes. Fascinating. Your work is fascinating. And it's really nice to speak with somebody who like, you know, uh, the Latina community is so lucky to have you because culturally, you know, I think of all the families I worked with that I'm like, oh God, I'm just this white girl who doesn't understand all these cultural differences. And so, oh, it's wonderful. You're, you're a blessing, I'm sure. No, but I think you just, the way that you're so real and the fact that you're just so loose with the words, I think one of the biggest things with Hispanics sometimes is that there's some Hispanics that like the professionalism that, mm. And then there's some other ones of us like me that are just like, no, fuck this. Like, bro, they just be like, your kid's being a douche. Like, it's fine. Just stop. It's okay. So we can fix it, okay? <laughs> like, it's fine. Like, douche, I guess the Spanish word for douche would be Mahon. Like, your kid's being a Mahon. Just, you know, it's fine. He's being Mahon. So I think, you know, just that realism mm-hmm. and going, okay, so how do you do it? I usually hit him upside the head. Well, is that working? No. Okay, so either we hit him harder or we find something else. So right. let's well, out. DCF is being called about the bruises, so maybe we don't hit him upside yeah. the head. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that, you know, so yeah. right. I think is I, I love what you do. I love that I'm not the only one because I sometimes feel like so like alone in all of this sometimes that I'm just like, yeah, there's theory and there's common sense too. And I think sometimes yeah. therapy and, you know, the new thing in parenting is evidence-based. And I'm like, what's the fucking evidence-based? Like, did you make it out alive? But, but based off <laughs> of what? Quantitative or qualitative? Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, mm-hmm. all right. You have an right. awesome day. Thank you for your time. You it's too. So Let me know when you're going to post to send me the link. I shall. I shall. All right. I appreciate right. you. Bye, we'll guys. Okay. Bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.